Hi, I'm Wes Kao, and I'm about to have a productive conversation with Mike Vardy. I am big on cohort-based courses and cohort-based learning right now. I've been in a few. I'm running one with the Elite Time course, and uh, we've just finished our second round as of this recording and are starting to prepare for the third cohort. And that's why I think it's timely to have Wes Kao on the program. As co-founder of the Alt-MBA, Wes helped create the modern cohort-based education movement with Seth Godin, who's also been on this program. She's led over 150 launches for Fortune 500 brands and startups and is recognized as a leading expert in B2C marketing. That's business-to-consumer marketing. Now she's taking the category she helped create to the next level with her new startup, Maven, the world's first digital platform for cohort-based courses. We talk a bit about Maven and a whole bunch of other elements around cohort-based courses and training. Lots of stuff to get into, so let's get into it. Here is a productive conversation that I had with Wes Kao. Enjoy. Wes, thanks so much for taking the time to join me today. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yes, same. So, uh, First off, for those that don't know you, um, because you weren't, did, did you work really behind the scenes with Alt MBA and stuff like that? Like, I want to get into that right out of the gate because, um, the re- the reason I knew you when, when we started to talk about like having you on the show was, um, I'm like, oh, Alt MBA and Seth's been on the show and it was like, oh, let's, let's, let's dig in a little bit here. So can you share a little bit about yourself right out of the gate so that the, you know, the listener can say, oh, that's why Wes is here today. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm co-founder of Maven, a new startup for cohort-based courses that makes it really easy for anyone to build a live, engaging online course. We're funded by Andreessen Horowitz and First Round Capital. We've raised about $25 million so far, we're about a year, a year old. Uh, before this, I co-founded the Alt MBA with Seth Godin mm-hmm. and built it from scratch. It was just us two in the very beginning, grew it to a team of over 50 people with thousands of alumni and students in 45 countries, 500 cities, and uh, really kicked off the entire category of what's now today called cohort-based courses. Uh, And so uh, lots of experience in in online education, ed tech, uh, building teams, and yeah, excited to be here talking to your, your entrepreneur listeners. So it's, that was the other thing. As soon as, uh, as soon as I found out about Maven, and I actually have attended a Maven webinar, and I've seen some of the stuff that was going on behind the scenes because we we're a bit we've done as of this recording we've done two cohorts we've done a beta run and then we did a pilot one cohort one it initially was called Total Time Crafting we're rebranding it a little bit um, but it's been cobbled together as you know by a bunch of different kind of you know different different tools and so on and so forth so. Uh, I want to know, first off, out of the gate, I mean, we can talk about the building of Maven and why you did it, but I want to know first, like, why do you think that learning in a cohort, because we've seen the rise of that with things like linking your thinking with Nick Milo and and, and the like, uh, uh, Tiago Forte's got his, and there's there's a lot more out there. Why do you think that learning in a cohort has seen such a rise as opposed to, say, you know, one-on-one coaching or, you know, taking courses through, you know, like these these online learning platforms where you're doing it one, one-on-one or you're watching video courses. Why has the rise of cohorts kind of started to, to take place? 
Yeah, I love that you mentioned Tiago. He was one of my clients before starting Maven. Mm -hmm. uh, David Prell was also one of my clients. Um, Professor Scott Galloway from Section 4, all early adopters in, in this course space. And you're right that there are a ton of courses popping onto the scene now. Um, and the reason is they're great for instructors and creators who are teaching the courses and also great for learners and students who are taking the courses. So on both sides, uh, there's, there's a lot of improvements compared to both traditional higher education and also MOOCs, massive open online courses like Skillshare and Udemy. So if you think about a Udemy course, for example, it's a solo activity where you're watching basically a set of pre-recorded videos by yourself. There's no community, there's no accountability, there's no one who notices if you don't show up to something. And so what happens is a lot of people sign up for courses with high hopes and a tiny sliver of people actually finish them. So the completion rate is seven to 10%. Yeah. A recent MIT study said three to 6%. So I've personally, you know, I have a, a calligraphy course somewhere gathering digital dust from five years ago where I watched 10 minutes and said I would go back and I never did. So that's a pretty common story. And, you know, flash forward to today with core-based courses, core-based courses are a lot more engaging because you have a set start and end date. So automatically that in itself, the scarcity of a course that ends makes people take it more seriously. Mm -hmm. The fact that you're paying a premium for a course also makes people take it more seriously. You know, if you're, it's, it's kind of like going to the gym and having a personal trainer. I've already paid that person $75. I should show up, right? So same with a Udemy course. It's, you know, if, if it's 10, $15 and you don't do it, no skin off your back. But you know, if you've paid 500 to $5,000 as a student, uh, which that's the range of core-based courses, uh, the price point range, then you're much more likely to take it seriously. So right off the bat, there are a couple levers that, that um, help learners stay more engaged. Um, and then once, once you actually get in the course, the community of other like-minded learners are there to help keep you motivated, to keep you inspired. Um, and you're, you're not just watching videos together either. You're doing hands-on exercises, activities, projects. You're critiquing each other's work. You're giving each other feedback. So instead of, you know, if let's say you're taking a sales course, instead of just watching a, a bunch of videos about sales, you're actually crafting a pitch or writing, writing a, a, you know, a cold email um, and then critiquing each other's emails. Maybe the, the instructor picks a couple to live critique and then you actually ship that email during the course and then you learn from that feedback. So it's much more of the way that we actually all learn, which is you know, simulating that on-the-job environment, simulating the, the practice that goes into actually learning. So that's on the, on the learner side. Now, switching gears to the creator side. Yeah, which I've done. I've done. Like the Skillshare course I have is like, it's there is a small community, but it, it, it's so um, fragmented and so not connected as tightly. And because there's no, just real quick, there's no um, uh, intimacy, right? You know what I mean? Like when I did my cohort, like people know me and we've chatted and there's that direct access. So... I almost feel like when I did my cohort, I'm like, I'm, I'm more engaged. I'm more. So I want, yeah, I definitely want to hear the, the facilitation and, and the creator side, because as somebody who's taught one-on-one, -on -one, which is very challenging and doesn't scale terribly well, but also the courses where you put on, like, like you said, the, you know, you're, you're, I made a Skillshare course and there's lots of people that have taken it. It's got a really high rating and such, but there's been a hesitancy for me to create another one for the very reasons that you've mentioned. Let, yeah. Let's lean into that. Yeah, so there's a, a couple reasons why core-based courses are exciting for creators. So one is overnight, it often becomes the biggest revenue stream for a creator. 
So if you are selling $15 Skillshare courses, you need to sell a lot of them to make the revenue that you want to make. Whereas if you're selling, you know, if you're selling a core based course, that's 10 to a hundred times more expensive. Uh, you can really add a lot of value for your diehard fans and also make a great living without constantly trying to chase conversion numbers and clicks and just trying to get more people in your funnel. So that's a huge, a huge reason. Um, we've had so far 10 creators who have done initial first cohorts that have made over a hundred thousand dollars in a single cohort. So that's a cohort that's between two to three weeks long, yeah. making what a lot of creators make in a year, uh, which is really amazing. And we've had, we've had dozens of creators who made over $10,000 in a single cohort. So, uh, I think the revenue potential is, is really, really exciting and it frees up creators from needing to constantly chase volume. Uh, through branded sponsorships or advertising or selling, you know, merch like stickers, socks, posters, sweatshirts. Like you need to sell a lot of those things to make a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So uh, I think that the revenue potential is really, really exciting. That's one. I think the other is that it's really rewarding, as you mentioned, to get to know your diehard fans and the people that are at the heart of your community who want to learn from you, who want to engage with you, who want to engage with each other. Um, and through the, the, the format of a cohort based course, you're bringing them all together for this period of time. And you're, you're engaging in this, this experience together. Um, and I think the great thing about core based courses too, is that you as the instructor are not the end all be all source of everything for the course. The fact that the other students are there, um, and they're excited, they're motivated, they're similar, similar, um, they have similar values and, uh, mindsets there's so much value in helping your community meet each other and, and attribute that goodwill to Mike. Like Mike brought us together. This is awesome, right? Like I met all my best friends from being in the Alt MBA or I met all my best friends from, you know, and colleagues and new contacts from doing section four, professor Galloway's course or, or doing David Pearl's course. So there's this, um, there's this giving back element to, um, engaging with your diehard fans and also being able to open the doors more deeply than you can a lot of times in either writing a newsletter or a podcast or um, a pre-recorded course where you can kind of go where the the motivation, the flow takes you. Like if right. a certain cohort, right? Like they really want to mm-hmm. learn, hey, Mike, like this thing is super interesting right now, whether it's current events or, or you know, whatever. Like this group just happens to want to dig into this thing. You have the flexibility to cater to that and um, follow that serendipity in a way that you can't as much with a pre-recorded course. You know, as, as you were talking about this, I was thinking about the idea of what happened when I did my first one, the, the beta, and then I moved into the, the first round, the first official one, which I think we had about 10 people on. And then the next one that we're working on right now is going to have more people in it because it's been it's been sculpted. It's 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 an evolving piece, which I also really like because there's this static element like my Skillshare course is great and people still take it. And I tried to make it as timeless as possible. But tech changes, things change, everything. You can make this so dynamic. And that's something that I think is is really valuable about it. But what I want to ask now is. when people are building these sort of things, because we're seeing more and more, as we talked about, um, what are some of the common mistakes people are doing? Because they're getting enthusiastic about it, but when a creator is building something like this, what are some of the things that they're maybe not thinking about or they don't have the experience with as they're building it that that you see happening, which is probably some of the reasons that led to you building Maven? 
one of the biggest mis misconceptions and mistakes that first-time course creators make is comparing their first cohort with someone's 50th cohort. So you look at someone like David Perel, you look at someone like Tiago, you look at someone like Sean Puri or Pomp, Lee Jin, and you say, oh wow, like their, their courses look so strong, they look amazing. And a lot of these creators have been doing this for multiple cohorts. Mm -hmm. And so that the perfectionism that tends to set in when you expect perfection from your first cohort tends to be really paralyzing. So really, you know, I love what you said just now about how courses, cohorts evolve and you iterate from one cohort to the other. So one great example of that is the Maven Course Accelerator, which I teach. We're about to run our fourth cohort in actually starting next week. Um, and this is the, the fourth time that we've run it. We first started it in February. We did a, a um, alpha cohort with five students, five instructors in our cohort. Um, and we then did a beta with 10 people. Mm -hmm. And then we grew to 85 in our next cohort. Wow. And then our upcoming cohort has over 130 people. So just the progression, the progress from one cohort to the other, growing, um, you know, more than doubling from one cohort to another. And then the format changed too, based on mm -hmm. what we saw worked for people. So initially it was an intense five-day sprint. Um, and then it became six weeks. So we spread out that content. We ran it at six weeks twice. Mm -hmm. And then this upcoming cohort, we switched it to, we're shrinking it to three weeks to make it more accessible. We trimmed out a bunch of stuff that ended up not being that helpful for people, doubled down on stuff that was more helpful, turned stuff that could be done asynchronously into pre-recorded videos so that when we meet live Tuesdays and Thursdays, it's workshopping. It's all the stuff that you can only do live, debating, discussing, sharing your work, getting feedback from coaches. So this is just a, it's a great example. Even, even Maven, you know, we're the purveyors of core-based courses. Like even we are constantly updating and iterating what our course is and what it can be based on what is best for our students and um and what they're telling us and so one big thing probably the biggest thing that first-time course creators should keep in mind is your first cohort is not the end-all be-all it's right. way better to do a smaller initial cohort get something out there and learn from real data points than to continue pontificating and analyzing and thinking about is this the most perfect curriculum that that you could possibly create I want to get into Maven now, the building of Maven, because clearly, and, and we talked about this, you know, the idea of cobbling different tools together, you know, Zoom and Circle and all these other, which are, they, they are fundamentally great. But I mean, even this, we're recording this on Riverside.fm, whereas before I used Zoom and before that I used Skype. So, you you know, the tools evolve and te I mean, tech evolves nonstop was what was the impetus for you to say you know what we need something that will better facilitate cohorts so that as you just mentioned some of that overthinking the paralysis through analysis kind of stuff because i think tools can get can be part of that oh i have to have this and this and this and this not just for the creator but for the for the end user who's going where are we meeting today where do we do this thing um i think that that's so so what led you to the point of saying, you know what, we need Maven. We need this 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 platform that's going to make it easier, not just for the person making it, but for the person taking it. I was creating core-based courses and have been for the past five to six years before starting Maven. Mm -hmm. And during this time, I was shocked at the level of administrative logistical effort that it took to create a core-based course. So when Seth Godin and I first started the Alt-MBA, it was a completely new format. 
and we were we we cobbled together Zoom, Slack, uh, uh, WordPress, email, Zapier to stitch it all together. Mm -hmm. um, and we got all these questions of you know when is the next session? Where do I find this recording? How do I do this? Where do I find my group for the week? Um, and you know it, at that time it kind of made sense because this was this was brand new. Right. But even over the last five years, even flash forward today, this is still the way that if you are creating Corsair, like you are having to deal with cobbling together all of these different tools. And Absolutely. it just it just felt like how have we not found something yet? How how has something not been built yet to address this this challenge and and to um, create a central location, a central place where a creator mm -hmm. can can host and manage everything that they need about their course? Um, you know, the more tools you have, the more likely something is to break. Right. Um, I've personally spent hours debugging some, you know, a zap that stopped working for some random reason. And it's just like, you want to tear your hair out, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of creators are not, it's not, it's not that they're not technically savvy. A lot of them are, but it's not their main strength. Like they right. didn't become a creator because they liked, you know, messing around with these different tools. They became a creator because they want to teach what they know and connect to their audience. And they're really good at that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when, when Gog and I got, got reconnected uh, last summer, literally just a year ago, we just had our one year anniversary, um, last summer slash fall, um, you know, Gog and I just gotten back from spending two years abroad after mm -hmm. shutting down, shutting down his last company, Sprig. And, you know, he, he reached out to me and said, Hey Wes, I, you know, just got back to the States. I'm thinking about starting a new ed tech company. And I've been hearing about these live synchronous courses called core based courses. And, um, everyone I talked to about them mentioned you. So I told them, I already know Wes, we went to high school together, we went to college together, I'm just gonna reach out to Wes directly and, and, and talk to her. And so, you know, we started, you know, we jumped on a call and we started riffing about just how broken um, the, the tech tooling, the, 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 um, the tooling that was available to core-based course creators was. Um, and, and we realized that there was a huge opportunity to work together um, to, to build something that could serve creators and take off all of this slog, like all this administrative slog, let's just remove that for creators. Let's have technology do it, mm -hmm. right? And so creators yep. can focus on what they want. And so that was the start of Maven. And what we're building is this central place where a creator has everything that they, need, that they need, starting all the way from the landing page that you share with your prospective students to the application process and the application flow, to payments, to the student portal, that you can give to your students so they have a place where they can log in, they can see a calendar, they can see um, a student, fellow student database with who else is in the course, what's everyone's background, clicking out to people's LinkedIn profiles, see you know, people's photos. Um, they can see uh, where, to, where to log in to the live sessions. They can see the homework assignments. They can see the curriculum that's being tripped out every week. So it's much more organized and easy for your students. And the instructor has a dashboard where they can see, hey, here are all the students that are coming in. Here are people who have paid yet. Here are people who have not. Uh, and in the future, more data around here are students who are falling behind. Here are students who um, are, you know, have submitted every single project. Here are the coaches that are assigned to each student, right? So so much more visibility and transparency into what do my students want? How, how are people doing so that I, as an instructor, can better serve my students? So as, as cohort-based courses increase in uh, 
not not size, but in in um, accessibility, because there's lots of people. Again, as we mentioned off the top, more and more people are doing them because they seem to be like the hot topic right now. Like there's a lot more people that I've noticed, at least in my space. And I think that's the other thing, too, is I'm coming at from the vantage point of a creator, whereas, you know, and you know how it is when you see something that's happening, you tend to see it everywhere. But then the bulk of people are like, what's a cohort based course, because a lot of people don't know what that means initially, right? Um, what do you think? How do you how does someone avoid this trap of well, so many people are already doing a cohort based course. So who am I to do one or there's so many the market's saturated, etc. How do they keep from falling into those pitfalls, not just the analysis one that you're talking about, which I totally agree with, because it's way easier to build a, a, a regular course. It's so much easier to trade time for money in a one-on-one -on -one scenario. What? How do you avoid some of those pitfalls of um, the biases that we're seeing? Oh, there's so many out there already. There's so many of this. Who am I to charge that much money for a course? Like, What are some of the, the things you've seen and some of the advice you'd like to share for those listening that are like, I've been thinking about it, but there's this thing that's niggling in my brain that's keeping me from doing it. I think five years ago, people were saying the same thing about podcasts being saturated, that there right. are so many podcasts out there. I couldn't possibly start a leadership podcast or, or a business podcast or whatever. Um, and the trend has continued growing. Uh, there's so much room for great podcasts. And in the same way, there's so much room for great core based courses. We are just at the beginning of that curve. So, I think, you know, within certain certain circles, you're starting to see it everywhere. And that's great because most of the time people, you know, people see, oh, so-and-so is doing something. Maybe I should check it out. So right. that tends to be a good thing. Uh, but definitely don't let that discourage you from, from doing a course because, um, you know, 99.9% .9 of the population still really doesn't know what a core-based course is. Um, yeah. we're, we're really just on the cusp. Uh, I think it's really, really exciting that um, creators are, are starting to catch on, though, because... Mm -hmm. Creators are, by nature, inventive creatures who like breaking the rules. And so yeah. one thing that, that we found from teaching the Maven Course Accelerator is we'll give creators a bunch of these frameworks, principles, foundational, um, foundational tactics and strategies and examples about here's what's worked for other people, here's what we've seen from a bird's eye view, and creators will take it and they'll learn, and then they will subvert and invert and, and just do their own thing, which I mm -hmm. love. Like... Last, the last time we ran this over the summer, um, Julian Shapiro and Sala Bloom um, were, were in our course. Um, and we, at the time, said, you know, most core-based courses are around two to four weeks long, which made sense because my experience building Altambia was four weeks. Mm -hmm. Professor Galloway's course is two weeks. I helped design that course. I helped design Morning Brew. That was Morning Brew's Accelerator. That was eight weeks. Um, and so it was kind of the, the, the few to several week range was kind of the, right. the time, time, time length. Um, and Julian and, and Sahil said, okay, great. We're going to do a three day course. So, and, and, and we thought, okay, awesome. Like, let's see how it goes, right? Like report back to the rest of us and, and we'll share, we'll share the learnings with, with other instructors. And it turned out to be a smashing success. People loved how tight it was. People yep. loved that, um, they could focus on it for a few days and then, and then move on with their lives that it wasn't this like you know, huge, heavy thing. Um, it worked really well with people with shorter attention spans. It allowed them to go to go deep really fast. Um, and from that, we we as an organization, Maven, learned that short courses can totally be successful. And then we share that with all the other Maven instru instructors and encourage them to explore.
doing shorter courses. And now a bunch of instructors are. So it's this really powerful, um, powerful feedback loop mm-hmm. because we have, we have access and visibility into what so many different creators are doing. And we are pumping core based courses into the market that we can see, Hey, what's working? What's not, what are trends of, you know, the, the things that instructors are and creators are experimenting with. Um, and so, you know, since then, um, they've, they've expanded three days into one week. They're in the middle of, of the course now. It's called audience building. Um, so they're continuing to innovate and experiment with, hey, we did it three days. Let's try it in a week. Like, let's see how that feels, right? A little bit more time with people, but but still really tight. Um, and that's just that's just course length as a variable. There's also right. price points, right? What Where do you want to be on the, that spectrum um, for a price point? There's also the ideal cohort size. Do you want something that's a little bit more intimate? You can charge... Uh, a bit more for something that's that's you know a smaller group of people at a higher price point, for example, or you can do um, that same price point but aim for a lot of people, uh, right? So you can keep certain variables constant but move others. Uh, the amount of projects that you have in a course, do you want it to be more um, more interactive or or a little bit less interactive? Do you right. want the community part to be a, a really big part of it or learning more from the instructor to be a main part of it? So. Um, I have I have something that I call the course mechanics canvas that talks about 12 levers that as a creator you should you should think about these 12 levers because they influence what your student experience is and what your business model looks like. So there's just a ton of innovation happening in this space and uh, so much room for there to be multiple courses on a certain topic. I think lastly, just one more thing on that. Um, if you Google, uh, if you search on Amazon leadership books, you'll get 60,000 entries that come up. Yeah. And yet people are still writing books on, on leadership because you have a unique point of view. If you do, I mean, if you don't, don't write a book on leadership, but if you do have a unique point of view on it, a spiky point of view, as I like to call it, um, and you have a core following who wants to learn from you, absolutely serve that audience, right? It doesn't matter that um, there's, you know, there's already been books about leadership, you know, from, uh, you know, the CEO of Pixar or, um this, you know, CEO of GM has already written it. Like, it doesn't matter. The internet is a really big place for micro communities. So mm-hmm. like, just think about all the subreddits that exist out there and how diehard the communities are, right? Like that's, that totally applies to core based courses. Do you think that the, um, the advent of more work from home or remote work, especially, and I mean, we're going to, we're going to date this a bit right now, but because more people were learning from a distance due to COVID-19 and so on and so forth. To me, it seems like it probably helped accelerate some of this then, then, you know, kind of put a halt to it because it's becoming more um, standardized, let's say, or more more uh, acceptable. Uh, I don't know. In your experience, do you see that that's been the case? You know, hey, more people, this is the time because people are get are more like, it's not such a foreign concept to them. Like, what do you mean I'm going to sit in front of a screen and not go to a classroom or not go to an event? I mean, I think, I think in my opinion, the, these came along at just the right time. And now, like you said, they're innovating. Like, what are, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. Back in 2015, when Seth and I first started the Alt MBA, the concept of meeting strangers online and paying $3,000 for a course where you weren't even going to meet in person. You weren't, you know, you weren't flying to a live workshop somewhere. Um, you were, you were entirely meeting people online was really wacky. Uh, right. people, people, Seth fans basically revolted. Like when we told them we're going to charge this amount of money, Seth himself is not even going to be there. This is going to be community driven. This is going to be project driven. 
Um, there's no live Q and A's or real time with Seth. Um, people were people were just shocked and horrified. Um, and flash forward to today, uh, with all the core based courses out there and and um, COVID with Zoom and Skype and Slack becoming so much more um, ubiquitous, mm-hmm. there is so much more um, appetite for learning online, for meeting strangers online, for realizing that this is not that weird. That you know, I read I read an interesting um, article the other day that a lot of consulting companies that used to send people, you know, traveling Monday through Thursday, um, every week have realized that during COVID that they can actually cut out a lot of that, that yep. you can do a lot of business, you know, from, from zoom. And so, um, I think once, once COVID, um, wraps up, you know, crossing our fingers, the behavior and the mindset shift is going to last. Right. It, it, was, know, it was going to happen. And it was going to kind of happen. Anyway. The shift has happened. Yeah. We're not, we're not going yeah. back to a time when, when we thought this was weird. This is just, this is, this is considered normal now. And yep. you know, people are, people might still do in-person stuff. Like I'm excited about doing in-person stuff again. Um, but they, I think are going to be a lot more willing and excited about, about, um, online learning, especially if they can learn from a creator where they otherwise wouldn't be able to access that person in person. Right. So Lenny Orchitsky, is a, he was an early product manager at Airbnb. He, just, he teaches a course on product management um, on Maven. He's based in Mill Valley in California. And, uh, you know, Pomp is based in New York. And we have instructors based in Denver, in Austin, in Amsterdam, in, right, in Asia. And, and, you know, normally you wouldn't be able to access that person then. Like you, you know, flying there and, and all, all the trouble would just be too much. Or the person wouldn't want to go through the trouble of hosting an in-person event, which is also really heavy lift for, you know, a lot of you, know, you and your, a lot of your listeners probably done this. Yep. Um, and so, but if, you know, if Lee can hop on line, if Lenny can hop online, if Pomp, Sean Puri, Saho Bloom can hop online to teach, they are much more um, receptive to sharing their learnings and making their learnings accessible to their, to their communities and to their students. So as we get close to wrapping up, I want to, I want to touch base on, on something that I think is important for the person thinking about taking a cohort based course. So someone who's like, I've, and I mean, I'll be point blank. The person listening to this right now might go, Mike, I've seen yours and I'm interested. Um, but I'm, I don't, I'm hesitant because of X, because of the, the technology largely because of the, like, how, how does someone that, how does someone get the most out of a cohort based course if they're learning from it, and then we'll shift gears and talk about the creator side. But let's talk about the learner first. Like someone taking a hat, if they're like, no, 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 how if they if they finally go, you know what? Yes, and they and they bite the bullet and they take it. and They go, I'm going to take the leap, which may be huge or small depending. Again, like you talked about, price, time commitment, um, you know, length of uh, size of the group. Um, what what is one of those things that they need to think about? Or something that, that you, you, you can offer that says, hey, listen, you know, you're taking that leap. Here's how you can get the most out of it. With cohort-based courses, you definitely get out of it what you put into it. So if you are taking a cohort-based course and you plan on kicking up your feet, crossing your arms, sitting back, and waiting for the instructor to entertain you, waiting for all the other students to draw you in, that's not going to work. You have to go into it with the posture of being ready to be active to be an active participant during this course. So one reason to not do a core-based course is if you just want content that you wanna review on your own time, you don't really wanna meet people, you kinda wanna do it solo, MOOCs are a great option. Mm Self-paced evergreen courses, do that. 
But if you want the accountability and the community and the participatory aspect and the, the hands-on piece of doing and the learning and the doing being synonymous, then that's really when doing a corporate course makes the most sense. Now, for the creator, and I'll go from my vantage point. So the reason that my cohort exists is because I, I did one-on-one -on -one coaching and I did, you know, evergreen kind of courses. But they can evergreen courses don't have that interactivity like we talked about. And of course, one-on-one -on -one coaching only scales so far. You can only serve so many people before you start to, you know, you can't pay as much attention to them. Or it, you have to hike the price up. And then some people are like, whoa, 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 that's a bit too much for me. Whereas cohort-based courses fall nicely in that middle middle area for both of those. So if someone is sitting here, and I can tell you what I did. I mean, I obviously took elements of my one-on-one -on -one that was consistent pulled that into my cohort and then as well as some of the you know the static courses and said oh this stuff will do well based on feedback and then obviously orchestrating it and iterating like you said and iterating and iterating it's the tool set that i that i'm still working on but i think you and i can have a conversation about that after the fact about where where maybe the tool set fits in but someone who's a creator and they're like i'm ready to do it i've but what do I do? Like, what's the best thing that I can do right now to kind of go, okay, I'm going to make that leap. I was doing, you know, this time for money one-on-one -on -one thing, or I was doing these courses and I'm ready to take it to that level. What's one thing that you think that they could do to kind of make sure that they're, they're, they're taking that first step in the right direction. If you've been doing one-on-one -on -one coaching or you've created a, a self-paced course, you are halfway there to creating a core-based course. So the content of your course, the, the positioning, the course market fit, um, thinking about what someone wants to learn from you, what they're willing to pay for. If you've done a Skillshare Udemy course, Teachable course, or you do one-on-one -on -one coaching, you already have real data points from people who have paid you to learn from you on this specific topic. And so um, that's, a, that's half the battle. Um, and so that's a, an amazing place to start I think that cohort-based courses are in some ways a combination of the best parts of MOOCs plus coaching, one-on-one -on -one coaching. So you have right. the scale of MOOCs plus the premium price point that you can charge from one-on-one -on -one coaching and the, the personal satisfaction for the creator of connecting really deeply with, uh, with an individual. So, um, so, so yes, so you're, you have a huge leg up. Um, I would say that, that turning a, a pre-existing MOOC an Evergreen course into a core-based course is a little bit like turning a movie into a Broadway play or a gotcha. book into a movie, right? right. So it's like the, the change in the medium, there, there's a difference there because, you know, in a movie, um, if, you were to, if you were to turn, you know, Tom Cruise, Mission Impossible into a Broadway uh, musical, there's certain things that you can do in movies that are harder to recreate in live theater, right? And right. vice versa. So, mm -hmm. so you have that content and that's awesome. And so now the next step really for, for people who have d been doing the coaching, who have been, you know, been teaching different formats is to think about how can I make my content more interactive and more community driven? So it's less one directional. It's less, it's less me lecturing at you and more me working with you and having, let's say 25% lecture in a workshop, but 75% hands-on breakouts, exercises, et cetera where your students are, they're experiencing that lesson as opposed to being told that lesson. Right. So that, that project-based piece, the interactivity, that's really the thing that if you add that, um, that's, you're, you're, you're there with a core-based course. 
And I imagine that if you're doing the one-on-one coaching, the key is is to say like you can't be as customized or as precise with the individuals. You have to kind of find the 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 needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few in 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 terms of the broad strokes. But then once you the community kind of can help with that part of the like one-on-one, like this one person. Cause there's certain things when I've taught one-on-one coaching, like, hi, I'm a single mom and I've got two kids. I'm like, I'm not a single mom. I have two kids, but I can't, but then in, in a cohort based course, there might be another single mom or there might be somebody who has that experience. So there's, you can, there's, there's that element there too, which I think is, I, I, I was like, Oh, that was a missing piece. Yeah. The really exciting thing about core based courses is that it's not one directional. It's bi-directional. Bi-directional meaning that, so one directional is the instructor teaches everyone. Everyone sits Mm -hmm. passively listening. Bi-directional is that students teach the instructor back and then they teach each other. So I've had so many instructors and creators say that they got breakthroughs and and new ideas and and sparked, um, you know, different ways of thinking because they saw so many other examples that their uh, students brought up and talked about edge cases, anomalies, you know, different ways to apply a certain concept that it actually sharpened the creator's own thinking about, about their own frameworks, which is super, super exciting. Um, and I think also your point about, um, about the community being able to jump in and help each other in, in potentially even more relevant ways than the instructor can help that totally happens. And I think that it's a little bit of a, of, of an adjustment for the creator sometimes who is so used to being the center. Um, that sometimes it's like, oh, wow, like I thought I was the only one who could solve your problem, but here are my other community members, my other clients who are jumping in and helping you um, and helping each other. Um, so, so that is a little bit of a, a mindset shift for the creator to embrace. It's like, I don't, you know, I'm still valuable. Like even if I'm not the one answering <laughs> everything, um, yeah. no. So, so I think that's, that's a fun little, little aside. It's it's interesting because it's either like initially it's like, oh, and then it's either you try to lean in. And I know when I did my first one, I'm like, I was leaning in a bit. And then the second time I, I leaned back and I let it kind of happen organically. And then because then I was listening. I think that's the other thing, too, is that it allows you to listen more when you have those, because in a one on one situation or in a, in a course, it's harder to listen because it's either constantly active or largely passive to a degree. And I mean, I'm, I'm mixing, you know, I'm kind of throwing some generic terms out there, but with that cohort based course, it's like, Oh, they're like you said, it's bi-directional things are happening at a at constantly, but you also can let the community kind of navigate some things on their own. And you can kind of be to use a Marvel, uh, the, the MCU, like the new what if series, you can kind of be the watcher every once in a while and go, okay, well, let's see what happens here, which I think is not it. Once you're used to it, it becomes very exciting. So as we wrap up, Wes, uh, I want to just find out where can people, I mean, first off, I'm, I'm excited about the future of cohort based courses. And I'm really glad that you've found this like way to kind of create something for people who want to do them, but also for people who are like, I'm tired of going to like 18 different places to make this, to make, you know, to learn stuff. So where can people learn more about you and where can people learn more about Maven? You can learn more about me at westko.com. I have a a website where I've been writing a blog and newsletter for over 10 years. So a lot of learnings on co-race courses, on, you know, building the Alt MBA, on, on a bunch of stuff. Um, and I'm also on Twitter at Wes underscore KO and then Maven is at maven.com and our Twitter handle is Maven HQ. Wes, thanks so much for taking the time and having a productive conversation with me today. Thanks, Mike. 
Thanks to Wes for joining me on the program. If you want to get all of the details that we talked about, show notes, details, helpful links, all that stuff, go to productivityist.com slash podcast402. You'll find everything that you need there. And you can also look at the little device that you've got that you're listening to this on right now. Maybe it's an iPhone. Maybe it's an Android device. Maybe you're using Spotify. Maybe you're using Apple Podcasts. While you're doing that, hit the subscribe button. That way you don't miss a single episode of what's to come. And you can easily search through the archives of past episodes, which are in the 400 count at this point. Episode 403 features a returning guest. John Meese is coming back to the show. That's going to be another great conversation that you do not want to miss. Another way to support the show, other than subscribing and leaving a rating and or review, is to check out our sponsors. Go to productivities.com slash podcast sponsors. You'll find all of our sponsors there. You can find that through our show notes as well, including some of the sponsors you heard today. That's it for this edition of A Productive Conversation. Until next time, I'm Mike Vardy reminding you to stop doing productive and start being productive. See you later.